representing the city of brotherly love and hailed as Elton John's favorite new band, our next guest on the Career Musician Podcast is Low Cut Connie. This American rock and roll band is on the rise and most known for their high-energy live shows. Receiving critical praise from all over the world, the band has garnered support from some more high-profile individuals like Bruce Springsteen, Howard Stern, Rob Thomas, and former President Barack Obama, to name a few. Since the pandemic, this band's been playing non-stop, creating their own mini-empire called Tough Cookies. Broadcasting free live shows, interviews with some seriously soulful guests, private meet-and-greets, and exclusive concerts. As seen on NPR's All Things Considered, Rolling Stone, The Washington Post, and yes, even the Philadelphia Inquirer, please help me welcome Low Cut Connie to the Career Musician Podcast. All right, Eric's gonna st- Eric G's gonna start us off. You ready? Are you ready? I'm ready, bro. I'm not. Hold on. Come on, get your shit together. And one, two, ready. love that dude <laughs> now i just want to sit here and jam adam loke aka loka connie welcome to the career musician podcast my friend after the beer baby what's up dude you're amazing first of all yeah, my curse yes you can say whatever the fuck you want <laughs> all right good so first, i was off the npr before you and god it was it was strenuous i was working hard to to keep the jersey out of my mouth. Right. Oh, see, Jersey. I'm from Long Island. You're from Jersey. I love it. East Coast. And you're in you're in Philly, right? Are you guys based in Philly? Yes, I'm in South Philadelphia. Okay, cool. So in all seriousness, bro, you got, you know, Elton John as like your number one fan. You got former President Barack Obama, Springsteen, Howard Stern, all these people that are loving you guys. Um how the hell do you stay so humble? Because you are like one of the most humble dudes. Well, thank you. But, you know, it took me so long to get anywhere. Like, you know, overnight sensation 15 to 20 years in the making. Right. And when it takes you that long to become a career musician, <laughs> uh, like, let me put it this way. I it's only five years since my when I had my last day job. Uh, and I could give you a list of the 300 jobs that I used to do, but I was, as of five years ago, I was still a teacher. And, um, because it took me into my middle thirties to really become a full-time musician, I have a different appreciation for it. Um, and for, uh, what it takes and, uh, for anybody in any field that strives, uh, to succeed or they have their dreams and the things they want to do, and it takes a long time. I think by the time you get there, you have a really deep appreciation for for the journey and the craft. And so, you know, I'm just trying to continue to get better at what I do, and that's really my main focus. Man, I truly believe that, and I appreciate that transparency because, uh, you know, in my opinion, there's two types of career musicians, quote unquote. There's the side musician who just backs up other artists and bands. And actually, primarily for the bulk of my career, that's what I was. 
until now I shifted. Uh, and then there's the artist, the, the musician who says, you know what? Yes, I'm a musician and I can play for other people, but I choose not to. I want to pursue my music, my dream. And I really commend you for that because like you said, that is oftentimes the harder road, you know, the more difficult. I have done both. Oh, see, uh, there you go. You know, when I was 18 years old, I moved to New York City to go to school and I thought I was going to be an actor. And um, I got a job playing piano in a restaurant uh, in Manhattan that led me to a number of other jobs playing piano. And uh, when I was 21 and I was able to work in bars, I got a job playing piano in a drag karaoke bar at 59th and Lexington. And that led to a whole lot of other gigs. And I played piano in uh, Italian restaurants. I played for ballet classes. I accompanied Broadway people. I taught lessons. I, you know, all the things. But I was, you know, somebody that either you put dollar bills in a fishbowl and said, play it, plays, you know, the theme song from Pocahontas, or I was playing somebody else's songs for them, behind them. I and that. I always wanted, um, I guess I thought, I, now I can see that I always wanted to play my own music, my own songs, mm -hmm. but I didn't know how to go about it. And I didn't, I didn't really necessarily have the cojones to do it <laughs> for a while. And then at a certain point, I realized when I when I had I was starting to like make a living. I was starting to get by in New York, backing up other people and playing music by request mm. and teaching lessons and stuff. And I knew if I didn't take the plunge then, if I didn't take that 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 unknowing leap right then, that I would never know if I could succeed with my own songs, my own music. And uh, so I did. I, I quit all the work I was doing. I left New York. I started touring. And it took me from that point, from that point, it took me like another 10 years before anybody gave a shit about anything I was doing. Uh, see, what you're talking about is so fucking important because this is the exact stumbling block that I personally encountered. And we know if you encountered it, if I encountered it, then there's millions of other people that encountered it. And oh, I, yeah. I like what you said. You knew at that point, like you had to just stop everything and take that plunge and see if people were gonna respond to your material. Because if you don't, what happened to me, like I found myself in my 40s saying, oh, I've had a great career. I'm, I was the music director for Babyface for 10 years and I played with all these other big names. But then all of a sudden, where's my music? Oh, shit. It's stuck on my hard drive. It's not fully completed yet. You know, so I like that how you you put that deadline on yourself, said I got to do it. Was there any particular moment? Or like a situation that you said, oh shit, wait a minute, did that give you a wake up call, you know? Well, um, I had this situation, I think you'll appreciate this. Um, I had a woman that hired me to teach her piano lessons, right? And then she wrote some kind of rinky-dinky songs and she wanted to hire, she hired me 
to produce an album for her. She said, I want you to put a band together. I want you to engineer it. And um, she was going to pay me well to do it. Yeah. I wasn't really into the music, but it was a gig and it was going to pay my rent for, for the next couple months, right? Yeah, see? So I worked up this plan where um, I would have her record in my house. I lived in Queens at the time in Astoria. And we had this decent-sized house. And I said, I'm going to set up a makeshift recording studio. And I said, what I really want to do is I'm going to let's record your album from nine to five every day. Let's just punch the clock. Like we're going to work every day. Nice. And I'll, I'll bring a band in. We'll have all the recording equipment in the house. And so we did that. And at five o'clock, we would finish the sessions for the day for her record. Wait half an hour and then switch to my music. Yeah, I love it. And go till midnight making my record and it was the same musicians and basically it was a way for me to get my music down while she was she basically was paying for her record and for my record but she didn't realize that's brilliant dude now i share this story with you because i think you, you guys would appreciate that but after i did that i felt a little some kind of way about it like this is not how i'm gonna I, I can't imagine myself continuing to operate this way. You know, this is not a way to do it. I'm not giving her or myself the attention that, that is deserved, right? And so... And that's a long-ass day from 9 a.m. to midnight, you know. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, the fires of youth were still burning. Right, right, right. Um, but so what I decided to do is I decided to move to Philadelphia and use that as a home base for me to tour from. And I decided that what I would do is I would go out on the road and I would get up in front of strangers and only play my own songs and find out what I was made of. And so I booked myself on a tour. I went to Indianapolis, Cincinnati. I played in some little rinky-dinky record store somewhere. And you know what happened was I completely bombed. Like, total, like, good off the stage bombed. Wow. And it was the most galvanizing experience of my career because I said, I can't have this. Yeah. I cannot accept that I don't, and, and I, was, I got heckled at the gig in Cincinnati. I got heckled. Oh, man. Hey, asshole, get the fuck off the stage. <laughs> oh, right? And I was, I was awkward. I did not know how to handle the situation. Yeah. And I said to myself, like, I have to, I, this is unacceptable. This yeah. is unacceptable. Like, I have to learn how to be, you know, a, a, a top-ranked boxer in this ring, you know? Mm-hmm. I need to be able to know how to handle the heckler. I need to be, know how to be able to win over strangers. I need to know how to get up and entertain drunks and weirdos and people that don't know me and win them over. And so I got this tunnel vision where I basically spent five or six years performing in front of hostile audiences. Hostile audiences. Now that's the thing. That's smart. 
this is the key. If you want to be a boxer, right? How many, in order to fight for 30 minutes, you fight for six months and you spar with people who are better than you or faster than you, right? If you want to be a basketball player and you want to play for 90 minutes, you practice for 15 years to be able to, to you know, have the skills to do that. That's right. Well, hostile audiences, that's the heavy bag. That's the heavy work ah. in order to learn how to perform for fans. See, performing for fans is easy. They love you. You, you, you give them the songs that they already love. The hard part is making fans. Mm. And so I, I set out on this quest, and I, I, it wasn't about money. It was not about success. It was about the craft. I wanted to know that if I got on stage, that I would have total confidence in my ability to win over new fans. And um, by the time Low Cut Connie started in 2010, 2011, I had that confidence. Wow. I had that confidence. So, first of all, that's an incredible uh, method, approach, okay? Philosophy. I love that. Playing in front of the most hostile bands to really build that thick skin, conditioning yourself. I love the analogy with the boxing, the heavy bag. Um, you finished the record for that client, though, in Astoria, Queens. Oh, sure. Okay. Yeah. And then when, how much material, material did you record for yourself? I did an album... Uh, this was in 2005. It was one of my first okay. full albums. So, and so you completed band, it, though? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah my see. band was called uh, The Shadow Boys. We were in Queens, and we put this record out called Horror. And nobody heard it. I mean, I didn't get reviewed. Um, maybe I sold 150 CDs ever. Uh, it's funny because my fans buy them now and they go on eBay and stuff. But um, the main thing was that I finished it. Well, that's what I was going to say because with musicians, so many times we get we get stuck with our own internal dialogue. We talk ourselves in and out of our our creative, you know, works, if you will, on a daily basis. Sometimes it seems like so. My one of the things I always preach is finish what you start, build your catalog. Complete each song and get it fucking done, right? That's like I agree. You know. And you know, I don't know if you're how into Prince you are, but I've got this this oh, yeah, Prince I've got this Prince book that I'm gonna show you. I'm gonna show it to you. I love it, I love it. This book uh got that? I, Check that. This book uh is this book which is like five hundred pages. It's a daily log of Prince's life in 1983 and 84. Okay. That's freaking cool. Can you look that up? What's it called? It's uh, Prince and the Purple Rain Era Studio Sessions, 1983 and 84. Love it. Uh, I, he got all the studio records, and he did this oral history. He interviewed like 300 people. Holy shit. He constructed a day-by-day timeline of Prince's activity for two years. And it's the two years during which he wrote, recorded, filmed, and released Purple Rain. Wow. I bring, I bring this up to you to echo what you're saying in this regard. Uh, 
Talk about finish what you started. Here's the thing. If you want to write a great song, right, you have to write probably a hundred songs start to finish before you write one good one. That's so true. So, so you don't want to start and not finish and wait for something good to happen. You actually have to practice your craft. That's right. If you want to make a great record uh, a great song from an engineering standpoint, you probably have to engineer a hundred or 200 songs before you really get something worthwhile. If you are a producer, you better produce a lot before you, you know, uh, there's once in a, once in a blue moon, there's, a, there's somebody that comes out of the gate and right out of the box as a teenager, right. they've, you know, like a, a Michael Jackson talent or something. And Bruno Mars. Uh, even. Yeah, yeah. 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 Or even like Billie Eilish is, is a young artist who is so evolved as a teenager. Great example. Uh, yeah. It's very rare that that happens. Most great artists have to have to create themselves, you know, and, and Absolutely. put the work in. And so, the one thing that I realized is, in terms of make, if I wanted to make one great album LP in my life, I might have to make ten before I make yes. one great one. Bro, you could say that ten thousand times over, and it wouldn't be enough because the the weight right there is so important. I, so I'm so glad that we agree. Okay, taking all of that and taking what you just said about Prince's book, which, by the way, I can't wait to check that out. Yeah, Thank you. That's going to be super dope. Prince and the Purple Rain Era Studio Sessions, 83 and 84. I can't wait. Okay, super dope. So now take that and tell us about a day in the life of you. So... You're now you're a full-time artist, you know, mu career musician. What's your what's your daily routine like, man? What is what do you do to get business done? Because I know how busy you are. I've been researching you and you're hustling your ass off. But you know, I want to hear how you approach it. Speaking of hustling, <laughs> have you heard of the new unisex yes. fragrance? The, the fragrance. <laughs> I love it. Yes. Give us a squirt, baby. Come on. <laughs> I love it. Private lives to in in, in in uh you know to go along with your new album, your brand new album, Private Lives. Super dope. And and Private Lives, the fragrance and the album and all the other swag is You want a low-cut Connie Yamaka? Yeah, I love it. It's all available on your website. It says Mazel Tov, motherfuckers. Oh, uh, come on. That is so cool, bro. Lowcutconnie.com. You can get all the swag, and I love yeah. your swag, bro. There's, listen, you know, there was my life before the pandemic, and now there's a little of my life during the pandemic. And guess right. what? I'm busier now. Wow. That's and, cool. and, you know, it, first of all, it's not just about music. If you want to be an athlete, Amen. if you want to be a journalist, if you want to be a, a, a researcher or, 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 or politics or whatever you want to be, number one is get up early. Uh, beat, yes. beat the crowd. <laughs> we, are, you we the four, are you in the four thirty club like us? <laughs> that's a little. That's a little <laughs> rich for my blood. But... Yeah, we started this. We started this four thirty thing, and then now I'm tapering off right around five five thirty. That's when I usually end up getting up. But well, 
productivity is very important to me. So uh, my manager, Reed, uh, and my publicist, Joe, the three of us, uh, it's, it's my core of my team. And we're, we're, the three of us are like a three-headed monster workaholics. And um, that's right. we all get up early. We talk. And um, there's so much business to be done. And um, there's so many projects going on. But the one thing I'm kind of obsessed with is really being ahead of um, ahead of the pack, timing-wise. Mm. Um, you don't want a situation where you say, oh, Halloween is in three days. Um, what are we doing for Halloween? Or, you know, Christmas is coming next week. What sh we should do a Christmas single. Right. You know, we want to talk about that, right? Yeah, way in advance, way in advance. Releasing an album, a video, a single, um, whatever it is that you are, whatever art that you have created that you are putting out into the world, the main thing is I feel for myself that I want to take the time because you only get one bite at the apple when you release something. Take the time to put it out at the right time in the right way. Give it the proper um, strategy in terms of promotion. and um, But also on top of that, and I think maybe you'll appreciate this, never ever do I stop practicing. Yes. I'm at my piano and I sing, I vocalize and play piano about six days a week. I usually take Sunday off. And that's because um, I'm one of these people that, like, I want to be doing this to the last day I'm alive. Right. And I was, my, my new Twitter buddy is, is uh, Tony Bennett. Tony Bennett is 94 or 95 years old. And uh, I was wishing him happy birthday. We were tweeting back and forth about his birthday. And I asked him, why, how does this voice just, hold up for 95 years and he says he's yeah. I sing every day and um, it's like you have to make your craft your your religion so for me performing moving singing writing playing an instrument uh, you dedicate yourself to it and then you should you should do it on the regular that's right and then with a mastery of your craft as you get better, then the business starts to flow. But you can't have one without the other. Um, you know, I'm glad that I had no success 10, 15 years ago because I wasn't ready. I wasn't fully formed yet. My singing and my playing and my writing weren't where they should be, where they could be. My performing which is the thing I'm most known for. It wasn't at the level that it is now. And so I'm kind of glad it took me a while. And then once it did, then business starts to flow and then you have to put your business hat on. And so then a lot of hours of the day become dedicated to protecting uh, your business, protecting the promotion of your art and the imagery and the digital side of things and the international side, which is my new obsession. Um, mm. 
So a typical day for me is a, is a mixture of having conversations like this. Uh, I have a rehearsal in an hour. My guitar player will be here. He'll be sitting there and we'll be rehearsing for tomorrow's live stream show. That's right. So we have songs to learn. And um, I'll be speaking with my manager about our vinyl pressing. I'll be speaking to my publicist about what we're doing with interviews next week and for Christmas and for early next year. I'll be speaking to my radio team. And let me tell you something. I have a friend that works at RCA Records. He's very high up. He said to me that for all these years that he was at Elton John's label, he said even into the 2000s, he would get a call from Elton John personally every Friday in New York. It's Elton. How are we doing at radio this week, darling? And Elton at that point is into his 60s. You know, it's a different phase of his career. And right. he said, it wasn't Elton's manager. It was like, he called me. That's like, it shows you like the level of dedication that a great artist needs to have. You know? Incredible. Incredible. I love that. We had another guest on the show just recently that mentioned the same thing about Tony Bennett's uh, regimen. Um, he was one of the guys from uh, the, the band. Uh, oh, man. What's up? Wadi Watel. Oh, the immediate family. The immediate family yeah. band. All these session yep. cats, and he was talking to uh, Tony, and he said, "Tony, how do you, how does your voice still sound so great?" You know, and he told him the same thing that he told you, and so I love that. Those are two. I think it was Bon Jovi was asking. Oh, Tony. Bon Jovi was asking and Tony. Bon Jovi too. Right, was right, watching right, right. Tony at some event, and then. Uh, I mean, yeah. that's brilliant, and and the fact that Elton is so on top of his business. So I love that, and let's talk about this now. You, I love what you just said about the two, two converging because you are an amazing performer. First of all, I love how you start off or you end up or at some point you're all over the place. You're standing on the piano. You're jumping up and down. You're running around. I want to talk about two things. You're in great shape. How do you keep that up? Do you, do you actually exercise on a regular? And then how do you balance the monotony of the business and the creative solace that you need? to really get inside the music and, and make time for the muse to come down and bless you. <laughs> <laughs> well, good. So on the, on the fitness side, um, first of all, I cut out a lot of garbage out of my life a while ago. And uh, luckily, I, was never, I never had a serious issue with substances, but it certainly wasn't helping the cause. Right. And so... That was something that I just, in my 30s, I just decided, like, I don't need this, you know? That's number one. Number two, um, yeah, fitness. I wake up <laughs> every day, and if it's nice, I go to the kiddie park around the corner, and I'm the weirdo doing this whole aerobics thing. I have, I have a trainer who gave me this thing, and I do my yoga. physical therapy, and I do my yoga. Nice. And I, again, I do it about six days a week. Good, good, good. Bad weather, I do it in my house. And, um, you know, uh, vanity, as much as uh, a health consciousness, but a vanity is a real motivator, too. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> and uh, getting your picture taken a lot. 
Not that you can tell right now. No, but, but bro, like, for instance, uh, I just watched the Seth Meyers performance. You look fucking great, man. You got this killer outfit on, and then you have the wife beater. You know, so anytime, and I see you with the wife beater and a lot of the photos, you know, and to just do what you do on stage, if you're not in peak condition, you're going to hurt yourself. Oh, yeah, which I have. Uh, <laughs> but I, listen, I'm from the I'm from the Mick Jagger school. I'm from the James Brown school, the Prince school, the Tina Turner school. Yes, yes. Uh, The Bruce school. Like, uh, I don't like to sit still. I don't like to stand still for a minute. And people are paying money. They got you got to give them a show. Little Richard. That's right. And um, so... Mick Jagger in the 1980s, he he traded booze and drugs for wheatgrass and yoga and aerobics. And uh, that's why he's 75, 76, 77 years old and he's still alive and very loose in his body and, and with amazing vocal and physical stamina. That's right. Uh, if you, I've met Bruce Springsteen, and I, I was like, God damn, motherfucker's in better shape than me. Fuck. Yeah, he's in good shape. I know. <laughs> um, so that's a part of it. It's your instrument. It's your instrument. Yeah. You got to take care of it. As far as the, um, as far as the question about monotony uh, versus creativity, this 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 part of your line of questioning, you know. Just for, you know, sitting down at the piano every day, it's like I, I, I've got my little dinner date with myself. There you go. Uh, is, there a, is there a certain time of day that you relegate for that, that you set aside? No, it's okay. like I'm not a, I am not an organized person like that, unfortunately. Okay. Um, but really, like, writing and creative work is like my sexy little side piece. Yeah. It's like my dirty little secret. I'm doing business all day, but I'm really thinking about that other thing. Yeah. And so when I have a minute, I'm running over there. And that's really all I can say about it. That's and perfect. So, perfect. Yeah. Boys and girls, this is Adam Lowcut Connie, and believe it or not, I am a career musician. God damn it. Subscribe to the Career Musician on Apple Podcasts. Help us continue to provide you with new and engaging content by getting our ratings up. Please subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. You have, do you have a mantra that you like to, uh, you know, hold on to for yourself at any point? No, not really. Yeah. Um, although I have, um, I do say on stage to everybody, do what you feel. Uh, okay. That when it comes, once you get into the artistic ar arena, forget the business arena or the promotional arena or whatever once you get into the creation part i have you just got to listen to your gut like don't try to please people um yes love so that. I, I i do say do what you feel love that love that all right well let's talk about the projects that you're doing especially during quarantine like you said you you definitely pivoted and you you beefed up your regimen you're doing is it are you doing daily streaming shows no, okay, so I'm but you're doing a lot. Twice a week, Thursday and Saturday. Right. 
And then basically that is that your tough cookies yeah. concept? Okay. So first of all, talk about that. I love that. You know how how it's been touted as you know a live concert, church service, support group, strip club, punk club. You know <laughs> all these diff different things converging. You know, and I've watched a couple of them. They're fucking amazing. I love it. And like you said, it's you and your guitar player vibing out. So talk about that. I mean, it's it's an unplanned pregnancy. It's who nobody knew what this year was going to bring. That's a great description, by the way. <laughs> you know, so as much as I would like, I'd like to be on stage in front of thousands of people with lights and good sound and right. full band and fans and all the things and DJ, but instead, I'm just in my underwear in my house. <laughs> And so I'm kind of going back to my roots, which is when I used to do those gigs in New York City, and I would just, instead of being a chef, I, I was a short order cook. That's how I'll put it. You know, a chef says, here's the menu of these 10 specialties that I make. Here you go. Um, a short order cook says, what do you need? What do you need? What do you need? What do you want? What do you want? Right? Right. So back when I first started performing, I used to just try to make 10 bucks uh, playing somebody's song for them. Uh, or somebody's going to propose to their girlfriend and I, I'm the soundtrack. Uh, or somebody was a, you know, a closeted gay man and he would, he would spill his, his life to me and I, I would try to be there for him with the music in that moment. Um, I just tried to give people what they needed at that moment. So now here I am in my house. This is my house. And the people tune in like we are through their phones and their laptops and things. And I talk directly to them and I try to, I say, give me one hour of your time to change your frame of mind. Yes. People are stressed. They're depressed. They're unemployed. People are ill. People are worried and I try to raise their spirits with one hour of variety entertainment in this room. And I will, whatever you need, if you need me to be funny, you need me to be sexy, you need me to be soulful, you need me to be weird or distracting or whatever you need me to be, I will do all those things just in an effort to lift your spirit. But you're very encouraging through the whole thing. I love that. I love that. And so the concept of tough cookies was just like, hey, you know, we're tough cookies. We're hanging in there. Let's all hang in there together. It wasn't really a concept. Again, it was an unplanned pregnancy. Yeah. I started doing these th these three live streams called Live from South Philly. Yeah. Very original title. <laughs> and on the third or fourth show, I because I would point at the camera to people and I would say, you're tough. You're tougher than you know. You're strong. You're a tough cookie. You could get through this. Love it. And people, thousands of people started typing cookie emojis in the feed and, and strong arm emojis. Yeah. So we made these um, tough cookie bracelets. <laughs> and it was really... In effort. Oh, that's awesome. We were we were trying to give these nurses, 
these COVID nurses. Right. Token of our appreciation so that when they're at work, they feel strong. Right. And, uh, it just caught on. All the fans, all the, everybody was watching. They started calling themselves Tough Cookies. And so I just named the show after the viewers. You know? That's so cool. All right. So from that concept, digging, I think this is a little bit beyond that. You have had like your own podcast interview type show where you interviewed some of the most freaking amazingly talented, uh, both perhaps sung and unsung heroes of the music business. I mean, you know, I've always said something that we have to have reverence for those who came before us and the people who have you interviewed, boy, not, I love the fact of your reverence, but have they been through some shit to get to the point just to play their music? So uh, kudos to you. Thank you for bringing that to the spotlight. After the George Floyd murder, which is what it was, okay. um, called up my friend Patty. Patty Jackson is a DJ here in Philadelphia. She's been on the radio for 35 years on WDAS, which is the R&B old school R&B station. Yeah. And I grew up listening to her and she and I are very good friends. And I'm sitting there about having to do my show that night. And I could, I was really thinking, how am I going to get on the camera and be funny mm. and, and all this with, with what's going on in the country? And Patty... She's been on the mic, on the radio, for 35 years, five days a week. So I called her. I said, Patty, how do you do it? Like, how do you get on the mic on the days when you really don't know what to say? You know? So we start to have a conversation. And I said, you know what, Patty? Let me interview you on camera. And we'll talk about this on the show. Mm. So I interviewed Patty, um, and we talked about what it is to be a, a broadcaster during challenging times. And it, it turned into a, a real discussion about um, racism and segregation in the music business and in entertainment, and why, after all these years, Radio stations, music venues, music festivals, magazines are so segregated. Still, and yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it was a beautiful conversation, and then I thought, I need to keep going. Right. Like, let me have more conversations with more people yes. about issues. And before I knew it, you know, by now I've done maybe 25 to 30 interviews with Dion. Bobby Rush, Darlene Love. I interviewed Beyonce's dad. Matthew Knowles. Yep, yep, yeah. Matthew Knowles. I get an email. My, my publicist gets this email. I work with Matthew Knowles, Beyonce's father, and Matthew would like Adam to interview him on his Tough Cookie show. We're a fan. Wow. And he was the first person I interviewed that was not a musician, you know, right, somebody who's right. behind the scenes. That's we had a fabulous conversation about racism in the music business. Yeah. And so it's become a feature on the show. And my members, the people that subscribe to my Patreon, 
I like this. I will do like a whole hour with somebody and I'll, you know, we show five minutes on the broadcast live. Um, I've spoken to um, Mike Nesmith from the monkeys and uh, I have Joan Osborne next week. And uh, nice. we've had uh, we, Nils Lofgren from Bruce Springsteen's band and That's just right. so many amazing guests and everybody had something to say about things they went through, you know, in the entertainment business. Yeah, like yeah. I, I love watching the sizzle reel and hearing Dion, I think he was out on the road with, was it Little Richard or Chuck Berry or? Sam Cooke. Sam Cooke. He was out on the road with Sam Cooke and he's like, you know, Sam, how could you let these people talk to you like that, man? That's so disrespectful. And Sam just looked at him and said, you know what, man? I'm not going to bow down to their level. I'm not going to get down on that level. Yeah. You know, and he just kept, I mean, think about that. You know, if we, I always say, if we didn't have the African-American culture, we would not have music as we do today because no, it was, it was such, it was like the freaking foundation of everything musical here in America and then beyond, you know? So it's like. Absolutely. I mean, America, our gifts to the world, among other things, but jazz, Gospel, rock and roll, blues, come on, music, yeah, R&B, exactly, and um, this is black music, right? This is black culture, right? And um, we do need to reckon with what you know, what the real history is, right. what the real history is, um, who who really were the architects of these music musical styles and performance styles, some of whom don't get recognized, some of whom did not make a lot of money. Um, and also, if we're going to keep the art forms flourishing, we should have these difficult conversations uh, so that we can open up new channels. That's right. For instance, we talk about sexism in the music business. And... Um, one thing that I feel so strongly about, and we're already seeing in rock and roll, the, the current and future history of rock and roll, absolutely 100% is going to be written by women because I used to teach music, and most of my students and most of the students that friends of mine teach at School of Rocks and Rock Camps and DJ, scratch academies and things are these young girls. And you're starting to see amazing musicians and writers and performers coming of age and becoming amazing artists. And I, I think that's the future of rock and roll of these, of these girls of, of Billie Eilish's generation yeah. uh, who, who are really going to write a new chapter in, in entertainment history. Man, I couldn't agree more. I love that. Wow. So look, you're hitting on so many points throughout your career and, you know, what you're doing. You're bringing awareness. People are coming to you, noticing it. It's really, you know, again, kudos to you, man. I really appreciate it. I think you're doing an amazing job, an amazing job of representing not only yourself and your art, but of bringing, you know, awareness to society about all these important issues. And as a career musician, again, as I dub it, 
you know, man, bam, that's beautiful. So that being said, future, future goals, aspirations. So tell us what you're going to be cooking up in 2021 this year. And, uh, you know, where do you see yourself going with low cut Kai? We've got so much going on. Um, I listen, I hope and pray that by the end of next year, I'll be able to tour again. Amen to that. Yeah. And, um, so that's a wish. That's a wish. Right. That's not a reality. That's a wish. Right. Um, but we have the uh, we have the vinyl release of my first record, which was called Get Out the Lotion, is the tenth anniversary deluxe vinyls coming out next year. Uh, we have a live record that I'm putting together. Um, I absolutely am going to keep this tough cookies thing going all of, you know all the way into next year. We are doing a um, performance residency at the rock and roll hall of fame uh that we're going to announce soon that's sick dude yeah um oh and by the way congratulations on private lives selling out all the vinyl yeah it's it's a nutsy thing i mean it's like crazy uh I, i we were so unprepared actually for the amount of vinyl that we sold that we're now on the second pressing after two weeks and again it's been um it's been a hell of a year like like through all of it we're just trying to uh pivot every five seconds but like i do feel very lucky that we have gained a lot of new fans this year we really have and um found a way to connect people in new ways that part's really exciting to me that's that's awesome all right, so listen, you've dropped some amazing wisdom and given the listeners in, insight into your, you know, your principles and methods. You have, you have any words of wisdom for an artist today, just starting out, like we're talking just about? Yeah, yeah. Suppose, suppose you're a brand new artist and you know your shit's good, so you want to get it out there. And, you know, what do you do next? How do you do it? And let's face it, the odds are stacked against artists oh absolutely well first of all you have to face reality you have to face reality and the first part of facing reality and some of your listeners aren't going to like this part you have to learn how to look yourself in the mirror you can't think that every song that you do is a masterpiece you cannot think that every every performance you do is perfect yes you have to. You definitely have to learn how to how to um, evaluate, take criticism, edit, and come back stronger. I had that conversation with Beyonce's father, and he talked about Beyonce losing on Star Search, right? Wow. With with the early Destiny's Child before they were Destiny's Child, and can you imagine Beyonce losing anything? <laughs> He said she cried all the way back to Houston and he said, well, what are you going to do now? What are you going to do now? Yeah. And it's the adjustments that you make. Uh, So that's number one is having a real look at your talent and what you're doing and where you need to grow. Um, Number two, learn the game that you're entering in. If you are going to, you know, I I use a lot of uh, sports analogies, but like if if you were going to be a basketball player, you know, you have to learn the game. 
it's not enough to just be a phenom. You have to learn the, the flow of the sport, the team aspect of it, the history, what are other people doing? How can you match that and exceed that? Um, right. What is the business aspect? What is the, what is the maintenance of yourself that is required? What's the time commitment? Um, so learn, learn the lay of the land, right? Um, but lastly, I would just say, if you're one of those crazy fucking people <laughs> like me, that you can't sleep at night, you're just not going to give up. I mean, really, you can't do anything else. You don't feel like you should go to law school. You don't want to be an accountant. You're not going to be a dentist. You're not going to be an auto mechanic. You are not going to give up. If you're one of those crazy people, realize that you have an affliction. you got a problem. And you need to, fix, you need to solve that problem. That's right. Well, you need to give yourself a marathon, not a sprint. It's going to be a while. Mm. It's going to be a long time. So make use of the time. Make use of the time. Indeed. Be, be that risk taker who's just always taking a step forward such that maybe in 10 years, yes, I did say that, 10 years, maybe you'll be halfway to where you want to be. That's right. Listen, I'm somewhere, but I'm not where I want to be. That's right. And guess what? Dolly Parton, she's somewhere, and she's still <laughs> trying to have a hit. You know what? After all the hits she's had. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Paul McCartney, yeah. he's still trying Can to have, have a hit. hit. The guy I just worked for, Babyface, still trying to come out with hits. I mean, they all are. Everybody. We all are. You know they might do it. Yeah. Um, you know, Bruce Springsteen is who's been a real hero of mine and become a pal. He just set a record for uh, having a uh, number one LP in, I think, five or six different decades. Wow. Um, just, just two weeks ago. Um, he's still trying to have a hit and he's doing it. Yeah. Um, so listen, if Tony Bennett at age 95 is still singing and he's still saying, I'm going to be out on that stage next year. Right. These are lifers. That's right. Life. I love right. that term lifers. You know, my dad uh, recently passed and he always pointed out to me, he was my first hero, right? My first hero in life and musical hero. He always said, that being an artist is a blessing and a curse, right? We know why it's a blessing because not everybody has that talent and, uh, and you know, it's not readily available in everybody's being, but it's a curse because of what you're talking about, because of the reality is of it, you know? It's not easy. It's probably the one of the hardest paths. Oh, it's, it's, it is. Um, it's a creative affliction. And I'm sorry to hear about yeah. your dad, but you. I'm, I'm, listen, I'm sure that like all of us, we try to carry on <laughs> the right. mission and the, the wisdom from, from the previous generations and make them proud. Uh, but it is a, you know, Prince said, it's a, I have a creative affliction. He said, it's, it's when other people lay down to sleep, I'm still thinking of songs and records I want to make. And uh, if you have the affliction, then you, you funnel it into something good. That's right. But, uh, I have a lot of friends uh, uh, who are writers and uh, they want to write novels or be a journalist. That's a pretty tough road to hoe. I have friends who are dancers in New York City. Yep. Um, 
good luck trying to be a professional full-time dancer in mm. this century in this country mm. uh, you know the, but you know what if, if you really can't give up if you got that problem where you you just you cannot give it up then you got to go after that like 110% bring your a game that's right you know? your triple a plus game that's it that's it I love it. Man, you know, we met through some kind of weird happenstance. We were at South by Southwest. We never actually met, but we were both there at the same time. I was with Kat Graham and her band. Oh, yes. you played with Kat. Yeah, I was her music director at, at the time, and my wife was her tour manager, Lola. That's who you actually met. Yeah, yeah you've been interfacing with her. And Kat and Lola came back from your show because I was actually there with another artist named Scott Patterson doing a, a Rachel Ray's party, right? So we're yeah. over there and you were, I forgot which venue you were at. Anyway, when we all converged again at the end of the night, Kat and Lola were like, holy shit, we just saw the best band in our lives. <laughs> like they, were, they could not stop raving. They were like, Low-cut Connie, and they, at the time, it was like, I, I don't even know this guy's name, Low-cut Connie, but oh my God, this band was fucking amazing. They were just going on and on. So that's how this all happened. I just wanted to bring wow, that back. Wow, I forgot that. Yeah. Listen, <laughs> that was, that I think, two years that, ago. Yeah, Yeah, I think it was Maybe 20, uh, 18 or 17. 17 or 18, yeah, one of those, yeah. Um, Kat is just the sweetest. Yes. She's so talented. She is. And um, she had, she had, you know, Prince had passed away the year before, but right. she had gotten the chance to work with Prince. So we spoke about that a while. And Kat said to me, you know, he would have loved your performance today. And that really meant a lot. Mm. So that's very cool. That was cool. It was wow. Fonte, uh, the rapper Fonte. Yeah. And, uh, Kat, they both interviewed me on Sirius XM. And, uh, I try to keep in touch with them and follow their careers, and uh, I hope I hope I get to intersect with with Cap again. Absolutely, absolutely, Adam. This has been amazing. We really appreciate your time. Do you mind doing a quick rapid fire for fun? Yeah. All right. Yeah. Let's do it. All right. We're going to 60 seconds to do this. 60 seconds. Is that what we're doing? We're going to try. This is a new segment for us. So we're going to try to commit to 60 seconds. As many questions as possible. The lightning round, goddammit. <laughs> All right. Waiting on Eric. G. In three, two, one, go. Top three touring essentials. Uh, oregano oil, bottled water, sleep. Song or band that changed your life? Uh, uh, when Doves Cry Prince. As an entertainer, it's hard to be entertained. What does it for you? Iggy Pop on stage, 2005, New York City. Name three artists on your playlist currently. Uh, Aretha Franklin, Celia Cruz, and Hector Lavoe. What do you do on long travel days to keep sane? Podcast. What are you currently binging? Reading. Dream collaboration, dead or alive? Uh, Cap Calloway. Guilty pleasure. New Jersey diners at two in the morning. Am I too? What reminds you of home? Thick Philadelphia accent. What would you do if you weren't a career musician? Die. And time. Oh, you made it, bro! <laughs> <laughs> right on the dot. That is awesome. Dude, this has been so fucking amazing. You are the man.
We appreciate you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for reaching out. Say hi to Lola. And uh, just please keep in touch. Absolutely. We will do. We're going to follow you, man. All right, pal. I hope I see you soon. Wait, you were in Long Island? Where are you right now? Well, um, Burbank, California. Burbank. All right. Yeah, well, when yeah. I'm out in LA, we'll connect. All right. Absolutely. Let's stay in touch for sure. Take care. Thanks Mwah. so much. Bye, man. <laughs>